we started off this Easter season, uh, we, one of the things we talked about was the disciples gathering together in a room with locked doors, afraid, and that Jesus just showed up in their midst and his response to them. And for Pentecost, we enter into a similar scene. We enter into a scene in which uh, the disciples are gathered together and there's these people in there and they're still waiting for what God exactly is calling them to do. And they're in this, this room. And maybe you know this story, tongues of fire, this kind of fiery imagery entering in and sending them out into the world. And I want to pose a question for us today. Are we actually saying yes and willing to accept and embrace the invitation to have God's fiery spirit enter into our space, enter into us, and send us on the mission of God out into the world? Because let me tell you, it's easier to be comfortable, to sit on the sidelines, to not do anything. The disciples and the apostles, as they're called out into the world, were called out into a difficult task, but one in which they are lifted up by God's Spirit and in which they fully embrace running out the door to doing what God has them to do. But I, I want us to really sit there and wrestle and think, am I willing to let God's fire breathe into me, to inspire me, to call me to God's mission? And what is that mission? A major, major part of the good news, which we don't stress enough. The good news is good news for the poor, for the oppressed. And I want to take us all the way back in the gospel. You know, the gospel of Luke has the story of Jesus' first words given of, of kind of his teaching and his ministry. And the setting is, is that Jesus has already been tempted in the wilderness to take power for himself, to, to lift himself up. And instead, we have this story that Luke says that Jesus came to Nazareth, where he grew up. He came, and when he had been uh, at the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as is his custom was, he, he stood up to read the text, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it was written. And Jesus quotes Isaiah and says, "'The Spirit of the Lord is upon me.'" because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This message of good news to the oppressed, God is going to liberate. God is going to set you free. God hears your cries. And last week we talked about suffering in the midst of pain and, and finding refinement. But there are many of us who long to cry out for more than just suffering alongside. But might there be an end to suffering? Might God set us free? Might God liberate us so we can start to live that kingdom of peace and goodness that God has in front of us that we long to be real right now? And the tension of this gospel good news message is we know that it isn't fully here yet. We can just look around and we know that there are still oppressive forces pushing people down. 
And as we painfully saw this week, sometimes those oppressive forces press down on the necks of those who we long to see to have life, to have breath. And maybe you were like me in this week and you've been struggling emotionally with what to do uh, with the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis. And I know that my experience of the pain of that moment pales in comparison to the experience of others watching on. I, I have absolutely no clue what it's like to be a parent, to be a family member, to be a friend, and to watch someone you cared for and you loved stomped out of life. The pain of that is so very real. And it's not just with George Floyd. Uh, many of us have just kind of We've barely gotten over the reaction and the pain of seeing Ahmaud Arbery in Georgia, which happened months ago, but finally came to light through technology and the ability to share videos of these painful moments, uh, but that someone on a run could be tracked down and, and, and murdered. And that oppressive force is, is so painfully visible in this day and age. It's not new, but it is felt invisibly present in new ways. And the, the oppression and the pain and the racism and, and the violence that we see in today's world, sometimes it goes more overtly uh, undercover, and it's secretively at work and oppressing people in ways that we don't always catch and we don't always notice. And I can't help but think of some of our own travels and my wife and I as we've moved and kind of went from place to place. And I, I I think people probably looking at Atlanta, where we lived for a few years, would probably go, oh, I know that they have problems, but part of the interestingness about Atlanta is they've known they've had problems, and so they, they name that, and they're working on it, and it is not perfect yet. And so one of the things in which the just ignorance and, and biases that don't see things uh, that, that worked its way in Atlanta was, it wasn't too long ago, they made a subway system, and they had to pick on the chart the colors of these railroads and which way that the, the system went. Well, and they decided to name the, the name of the train that went up to primarily an Asian community, the Yellow Line, out of all colors. All it would have taken is including some people in the room to give you a heads up, this is not going to go over well. And in the midst of our economic decisions, and instead of repainting things, the word gold was slapped on top of every instance of yellow on all of the advertisement and all of the signs. And that's a small thing in some ways in comparison when we're thinking about the brutality and the, and, and the, the death of people. But uh, these little ways in which oppression and biases work their way into the world where we don't notice how this is going to be experienced by somebody else. And I, I share this story back about when we moved to Milwaukee that we lived five blocks from Milwaukee. We were five blocks into a suburb, and the demarcation was obvious, not just in the color of the street signs, uh, but how well the roads were cleared of snow or the potholes or whatever it might be. But one of the small little differences was somehow in an area that had money the parks did not have basketball hoops. That this park where we could make an ice rink when it's cold 
and we can have tennis courts or we can have softball fields, but somehow we've overlooked basketball courts. And for some of those schools that did happen to have them, suddenly the rims are removed from them when they're not being used by the school. All a subtle message of who's invited and who's not. And I know that I can't understand fully the kind of oppression that people feel in our neighborhoods. Our neighbors are going through pain that we don't always recognize or understand. But in the words of the prophetic Donald Glover, this is America. And it's one we have to come to terms with, that oppression still exists and that people are still longing for liberation. That gospel message hasn't fully taken root and become fully visible in our midst. And so our brothers and our sisters are crying out for justice and long for deliverance. Do we have the fire of God's Spirit in our spaces and in our hearts, in our, in our mouths, to proclaim liberation, to proclaim that captivity is over, that we are going to go forth and live out the good news of the kingdom. And I want to talk about some distractions that get in the way of that good news. And you might say, well, I, I know that some people died and that's sad, but what about all of these protests and all of these riots and all of this other kinds of injustice? Shouldn't we address those things too? And one note is, is protests and riots are a symptom of something much deeper. To try to address protests and riots without trying to address the root of the oppression that brings that kind of response into reality and, and is needed and, and, and that's just uh, not the right strategy of how to deal with these things in the world. But not only that, uh, if we have a hard time with protests and riots, we might need to be reminded that we are going to have a hard time reading our Bible. The story of Exodus includes a massive protest and liberation of the people of God. And it's a people crying out in slavery in which there are plagues. Some of those affect the economics of the world. I imagine when our livestock or our grain and those things are harmed, that hurts everyday economics and everyday life, or darkness or whatever it is, and eventually the loss of lives in the midst of this response that God is not okay with slavery and oppression. And God is in the midst of bringing up the people of Israel. And it's not the end of the story, the protests and, and the cries of the people and the songs of the people. We get the song of them leaving Egypt, in which they don't just leave empty-handed, they, they leave with the gold of, of the land that they have left. But I want to call out to something that we personally need to think about in our own context. Something that I think is true of many white churches. We have models of deliverance, and we tend to think about the first week that we did in our series, forgiveness and guilt, as the primary way of understanding our faith, and the exclusive way sometimes of understanding our faith. That all that God calls us to is to be realize that you are forgiven and you are not guilty anymore, 
And we stop right there, and we don't go forward into living newly, establishing the new kingdom that sets people free. But we live in the, I kind of like feeling like I'm forgiven and not feeling like I'm guilty. And we don't act as forgiven people. We don't act out the kingdom of God and bring it to more people. And so something that, that our, our black brothers and sisters in Christ in America have been better at is proclaiming that the God of liberation is still God. The God that brought people out of Egypt is still God. And he is calling us to bring more and more people out of oppression. And I think that it's in that context that we can actually hear something from Zechariah today. This desire and longing and crying out for liberation uh, gets us to Zechariah 9, and we read from verses 9 through 12, and I'm going to actually start us a little bit earlier because I don't think you can hear these words without thinking of the context of the people of Judah having been slaves to Babylon, having been ripped from their homes and trying to return home and proclaim a liberating God. And so it's in that context that they say some words that feel kind of harsh in our ears. The word of the Lord is against the land of Hadrach and will rest upon Damascus. For to the Lord belongs the capital of Aram and do the tribes of Israel. Hamath also, which borders on it, Tyre and Sidon, though they are very wise, Tyre has built itself a rampart and, and heaped up silver like dust and, and gold like dirt of the streets. But now... The Lord will strip it of its possessions and hurl its wealth into the sea, and it shall be devoured by fire. Ashkelon shall see it and be afraid, and Gaza too, and they shall writhe in anguish, and Ekron also, because its hopes are withered. The king shall perish from Gaza. Ashkelon shall be uninhabited. A mongrel people shall settle in Ashdod, and I will make an end of the pride of Philistia. And I will take away its blood from its mouth and its abominations from between its feet. And I'm going to pause because the story doesn't end there. But you can't understand some of these biblical texts without understanding the experience of oppression and the feelings of pain and the loss and the death around you. That some of these texts, some of these psalms that lament are crying out and saying, God, I need the warrior God who's going to step in and right some of these wrongs because I can't do it on my own. This system is not designed to help me. God, how long before you step in? And it's in that way that you get this kind of exodus hope, this warrior God hope of, uh, and if you read your Bible and you hear the Lord of hosts, warrior God of the angelic armies. We kind of make Lord of Hosts sounds a little bit softer in our ears. God, step in and do something about this pain and this violence. But something really beautiful happens in the midst of this. There's this gospel hope, something that breaks the cycles of violence because the temptation when you are oppressed is to uh, liberate yourself and then oppress somebody else. And this text has this little glimmer of hope that we not only see here, but we see in the life of Jesus. You know, it was talking about the Philistines and that God was going to, to bring, uh, you know, liberation and was going to uh, make an end to the pride of Philistia and take away its blood from its mouth and, and its abominations from its teeth. And then hear this really interesting note. 
it too shall be a remnant of our God. It shall be like a clan in Judah. Even our enemy can be like a tribe of us. And it's hard to hate my enemies when I realize they can be my brother and my sister. And so in the midst of this frustration of wanting this overthrow of my liberators, you know, they too can be a remnant of our God. And that brings a tone of love and hopefulness that those who oppress me, maybe God might turn their hearts and they might be like me and they might be with me. And so it's in that, that context where we think about the liberation of all people and not just myself, that there's a king imagined in this text that brings an end to the cycle of violence. The text we read, Rejoice, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Your king comes to you triumphant and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey. And we get that quote in the Gospels, and we're familiar with this, this image of Jesus on Palm Sunday riding on a donkey. Um, but I love that the next verse that we don't hear in the Gospels as much, we don't get this glimpse as well, of he will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war ho- horse from Jerusalem. So not only is he riding in not on the war horse, but he's stopping the war horses. And he will cut off the bow and command peace to the nations. It's not the triumphant king who's going to slaughter the enemy, but the one who says enough of all of this. Oppression ends. Peace reigns. And that's the image we still long for and hunger for is how long, God, until your peace reigns and there's no more of this violence, no more of this attack on one another. And Zechariah goes on and says, you know, that he, God remembers his covenant with his people and he says, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. And so Jesus, like this image of this desire for this king to come and reign with peace, enters the city celebrated by the crowds and feared by the powerful and the establishment and the religious leaders because the message of good news to the poor sounds a lot like bad news if you were in power and enjoyed the fruit of oppression. And so this desire for the liberating God to send us the, this, this king who rules with peace and not with violence is still our hope. And I think beautifully imaged in the book of Revelation with the rider on the horse who has this double-edged sword, but it's the sword of the mouth that when truth is revealed and truth is announced, it cuts both ways and we all realize how we have been a part of oppression and been oppressed, and, and it takes God's intervention to liberate all of us. And so how long, O oh Lord? Because we can't breathe. And some of us feel that more harshly, more painfully, and some of us need to be awakened to that pain. And so we invite dangerously that God's spirit of fire might rest in our spaces, might come into us, and might help us to proclaim good news that liberation is coming, that we are not okay with injustice in our world. We are not okay that, those, that there are those who don't have money to eat or have a place to stay. We are not okay with those that just because they look a certain way are going to be mistreated and treated 
like less than. God, let your fire breathe into us that we might not be lukewarm, but we might be set ablaze to bring your justice into the world around us. Lord, let us not be just okay with an identity of being forgiven, but how are we actually going to live that out and extend that liberation to those around us? And it's on us. How are we going to respond? It's, you know, this message is not just for you, this message is for me. How do we respond to the oppression in the world around us? Do we just contribute to a cycle of violence? Do we offer our hearts, our beings, our life, our work to being about God's liberation that also has a hope that the person we don't have faith might turn to God might actually turn as well? Can we have the radical love of God that calls justice into the world? And so just as Christ was sent to bring good news to the poor, how will we respond to that message? Will we extend it to the next person? And so just like in Acts, that fire is meant to send them out concentrically into you know, the closest people around them and then further and then further into the ends of the earth. Let us not become complacent. Let us have that fire that every person might experience the liberating power of God. And so let us hope and let us be encouraged and let us be built up to go out and be about that work. Would you join me in prayer? Lord God, Lord, I know that your psalmist taught us to, to sing along and, and to, to pray along and to, to make known the command that let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And we know that not everyone is able to breathe in the same way. We know that there are those who are sick in, in our midst through this, this virus and this pandemic who are struggling for breath and we long for healing. We long for, for the, the life-giving breath of God. Lord, we know that some are struggling for breath because others are pressing down on them. And we pray that you might bring life in your spirit and air into the midst of all who feel that pain of oppression. Lord, let all of us who have breath praise you and do something with you to help bring about your good kingdom in our midst. Help us to use this breath to praise your kingdom not ours, but your kingdom and your will. Let us use the breath of the Spirit to give life to the lifeless, to give hope to the hopeless. And Lord, set us on fire for what your heart desires. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.